Hey, it's BT with Tales from the Gemini. And again, that's Feline Fox from El Paso. Thank you, Malika. I appreciate that. The week before, the we in, in between week between uh, after Christmas and before New Year's, the week that I think nothing gets done, basically. I mean, there's some construction dudes, but I don't know what they're doing. Uh, <laughs> they're probably dropping stuff on people's cars like they did Wyatt. I mean, we never talked about that, but Wyatt had his car in the, in the, in the alley, right? In the alley. Remember that? And they dropped that brick through your uh, window, and they said they didn't do it. Like, where, did, where the fuck did it come from then? <laughs> did, Jesus just, did Jesus drop a brick on you? And they said, we didn't do it. Then how did a brick get there? We don't know. And they never claimed it. Remember that? And, but they passed by the window every day and just wave at us. <laughs> that's, that's wrong, isn't it? It really is. Anyway, hey, tonight, today's guest is the guy I respect probably more than maybe one of the— it, it, more than anybody, maybe, in this game, comedy game at least, and just in life. The one guy that really intimidates me, I mean, just intellectually in every way possible. We both get into GP. We're both kind of in the same. Uh, if, you, if you look, if you go down the line, we both click every box. We're both uh, motorsports aficionados. Um, you know, we're both uh, African-American, uh, both bald, both Gemini's. And he is so much a better comic than I am. <laughs> and people respect him and they, and they run from me and not in a good way. So it, I love the guy. It's Alonzo Bowden. And you've seen him. He did a show on, um, on a speech. He did 101 Cars You Must Drive, America's Worst Drivers. Alonzo's just the man. He's friends with Jay Leno. You just love the guy. You can't help but love the guy. Um, uh, he's uh, got a great podcast uh, called uh, Who's Paying Attention? Uh, he won season three, Last Comic Standing. Just everything down the line, man. This guy is just incredible. So I was just nervous to have him come on the show. But we bonded together through uh, motorcycles and MotoGP. And I'm going to start off when he gets on. I got to owe him an apology that I've never said to him. I told everybody else this story, but I never told him this. Um, and he's just a great guy to the point of, I go, man, I wish I was like Alonzo. You know, I, like I, anyway, I'm, I'm going to save, save this story for him when he comes on. He's going to click on him in about a minute. I know he'll be on time. That's Alonzo. And it's like 8, it's like eight uh, 8.59 his time. Uh, no, yeah, like eight, it's 9 o'clock his time. And I mean, that, that means a lot because it's almost noon here. It's noon here. So it's nothing for me. But for him, he had to wake up early to do this. So. Anyway, he's going to click on any minute, and I can't wait. I know he's going to be on time, and uh, we're going to get it going with Alonzo. Uh, he's a Gemini. He's from New York. He lives in L.A. now. Been living in L.A. Most, all of his adult life, pretty much. Um, and I got nothing but great things to say, and I'm going to wait till he comes on so we can talk. And I can't believe my, my producer, Wyatt, didn't know who he is, which – what do you guys do? When you guys grew up, like, did you guys ever go- – I mean, you guys got Google. I mean, we're – I mean, seriously, there's no reason. Why it's white? He doesn't even know who Pearl Jam is. No, I do not know who Pearl Jam is. How do you not know who Pearl? I mean, seriously, I grew up knowing like people like like music. Like I knew who Lawrence Welk was. I don't even listen no to that music. No idea who that is. I, I know you would. If you don't know who Pearl Jam is, you should know who Lawrence Welk is. But as before, I didn't even have Google. I had to do shit on my own, and I knew who these people were. Like Nat King Cole. Why would know? I Google Pearl Jam? You know what? I'm, okay, I'm, I'm done. I'm done talking to you. I'm done. You have no idea, and it just pisses me off that you don't know. You don't know your history, bro. You don't know your history. You don't. Even, anyway, <laughs> so Alonzo's uh, gonna click on any minute because you're just pissing me off with not knowing who Pearl Jam is. You don't know Evon Flo. You ever heard a song? Nope. Jeremy smoking class today. Nope. That's where all white kids get all like, oh, I'm going to kill everybody. And they search it. And that's what that song was written about, basically. You know, you know, white kids freak out like, oh, my God, it's a bad day at middle school. And they just fucking machine gun everybody in the classroom. Yeah. And you don't know. You don't know. You don't know that song. No. <laughs> that should be your anthem. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. No, but I'm just saying. All right. No. But no, seriously, Jeremy, that was like a, a famous song. You, you don't know. All right. Alonzo's here. OK, here we go. Alonzo Bowden's here. 
All right, here we go. I can't wait. Here we go. Oh, my goodness. I hope I don't mess this up. It's got to be going. <laughs> Zo! Alonzo! Alonzo? Is he asleep? Alonzo. Alonzo? Oh, God. <laughs> Alonzo! Can you see me? What up, man? Can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you see me? Can you see me? Alonzo, can you see me? Can you hear me? Is it you or me? Uh-oh. Is it you or me? Yeah, I got you now. Okay, can it you see can, can you use the wrong speaker? Oh, can you see me though? Can you see me? Yeah. Yeah, you don't see me? I see you, brother. I know you were sitting. I, I thought you were asleep. I go, oh my God, because I know it's early there. So I apologize no. for waking you up and everything. So thank you. No, no worries. I was looking down, uh, set, getting the settings right. Oh, man, what you know. Are you in a studio? Uh, yeah, man. I'm, I'm big time now, brother. I'm big time. I got a studio. I got a white dude working for me. Actually, he owns a building. But yeah, I got a young, like, 19 year old white dude who's a producer. I have to listen to him. And I got a young 21 year old. He's white and doesn't know who Pearl Jam is. You believe that shit? <laughs> I'm like, I mean, it, it, it's almost offensive to me. Like, I knew who people like growing up, people in music that I didn't even get into, but I knew who Nat King Cole was, and I didn't even have Google. He has Google and doesn't know who Pearl Jam is. I mean, it pisses me off. Kids today. Kids these days. <laughs> tell you. First of all, man, I, I, I told everybody's story except for you, and I'm going to set it up like this, is that coming up in L.A., you know, uh, what, the way we did um, I have a, had a great manager. Her name will be uh, not mentioning. Great manager had great everything. So and the way she always said things like, "Hey, did I get this?" And she goes, "Nah, this Alonzo guy got it." I go, "Damn it! How about that? I get this?" They gave it to Alonzo guy. This Alonzo guy. They seem to like him. And the way she said it, it kind of pitted us against each other. The way she said it to me, she kind of pitted us against each other. So I grew up. So I had this animosity towards you before I even met you. She goes, yeah, Alonzo guy. And I, and I, and I was like, who is this Alonzo guy? And you know, you go, I'd see you on TV. I go, God, who's this? And then, so I, I had this all built up to where it was a rivalry just on my side. I go, I'm sick of this shit. And I swear to God, man, I think it was in Miyagi's on sunset, right across the street from Dublin's. We met. And you say, hey, BT, and you came across and you shook my hand. And, man, I felt so bad that I had built up this rivalry, this, uh, not hatred, but just animosity towards you. And you could have been you could have been more gracious. And after that, I, I promised myself I would never, ever, ever feel that way again without meeting somebody first. You know what I mean? So that was my way of apologizing to you saying that. And after that, man, we bonded after that. And we've been tight ever since. And I, and I tell people, you're like the big brother I wish I had. You know, we're both just Gemini's. We're both Gemini's. You know, we're both bald. We, 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 we check every box. We, we like motorsports. Not too many, not too many brothers like motorsports, or at least admit it. You know, we hit the motorcycles. And, you're, and when we go to places, you're the only, we, we go to MotoGP, everybody goes, Alonzo. And I'm like, uh, hey, I, I'm somebody too. I do comedy too. And they just don't even look at me and they just kind of, you know, give me the Heisman and talk to you. So <laughs> I always want to apologize to you first and say, yeah, you're the big brother I wish I had, man. Well, BT, um, first of all, you must have been going for some little jobs because if I was getting them, they weren't big. I have the same experience, not the animosity, but the same experience with um, Craig, uh, Craig Robinson. Mm -hmm. You know, we used to go on the same auditions and then he started getting them. That's what happened. You know, the TV and stuff like that. And now I just got a voiceover audition and they asked for a Craig Robinson type. I sent it to him. I said, I'm pretty sure you could get this Pizza Hut commercial. 
because you're the voice they're looking for. Um, and then I also have, did I ever tell you my Terry Crews story? I, I, must, I think, but tell me anyway. I think, but tell me anyway. So I was up, uh, there was a movie, it was called The Sixth Sense with Schwarzenegger. Okay. And it was about cloning. Like they were trying to kill him and they, they had these three killers that were chasing him and they would accidentally kill each other. And then they'd clone, they'd clone them and they'd go after him again. So I was up for it and uh, for one of the killers. And <clears throat> at the time, I was with William Morris. This was back when I early in my deal, uh, when I signed with them. Uh, Schwarzenegger was with William Morris and the director's William Morris. So I'm thinking I got me in, right? I had four callbacks and I didn't get it. And you know who got it? Terry Crews got it because Terry Crews was bigger than me. And, um, you know, I met him umpteen years later and he, I told him the story. I said, man, you ruined my movie career. And he showed me this video on YouTube. You know, he played pro ball. I think he played yeah. for the Bengals. No, no, he played, no, he played for the Chargers. He played for the Chargers. Charge. Okay, well, anyway, he showed a kick uh, when he was on special teams on a kickoff and he got knocked the hell out. Yeah, just I saw that. Went. Yeah. And he said, whenever you whenever you tired of me, just go to YouTube and watch me get knocked the hell out. And uh, <laughs> So the point being, man, there's always somebody who gets a job. Well, you, well, and, and you know what's going to happen next time we go to MotoGP? You know, we're both going to lose because uh, Bill Burr is a MotoGP fan now. You, you know what? I, I know that. And now they look at him. I mean, and I'm like a hack. Uh, they're gonna think I'm a hack and hacking on, but I was there before him, and you were there before me when it comes to MotoGP, because you turned me onto it. Well, I, no, I was onto it, but you were deeper into it than I was. You know what I mean? Yeah, but no one's deeper in it than you, and Burr knows that. I, I told him every, and he was like, "Yeah, I know BT. Yeah, he." And I said, "Oh, that's the fan. That's the psycho." So, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, he might be there if if we have a race this year. Yeah, he's supposed to come down, and you know, Rogan's there too. So. I yeah, don't, we're gonna be uh, we're gonna be on the side on the sidelines. Well, I don't know Rogan that well. And I don't want to, and I know me like I, I finally. And I, will, I will, I'm gonna jump to this real quick. It's like you're the only person I listen to and don't get mad at because you 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 pull me to the side like a coach and you go listen, PT. They like you, but you've got to settle down. I mean, because I'm a grown-ass man, and I'm, like, geeking over these kids. And, and, and the greatest thing you said was when we were at the MotoGP in Indianapolis, I was like, hey, man, I follow Bradley Smith. He got and I was telling you this, and you go, you follow a 15-year-old boy, BT? And I go, and you made me feel so small. <laughs> and I go, yeah, I, I guess it didn't sound good, does it? And then, and I was geeking out so bad over these guys. I remember being on the grid, and Randy DePugne was like, who the fuck is this guy? And, 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 you know, and then you pull me, I think Tony said something to you, and you pulled me to the side, listen, people like you, but you've got to settle down. And I go, yeah, you're right, you're right. And, that, and ever since then, and ever since then, that was the talk I needed, and the talk I needed to hear, and ever since then, I've, I've known how to pull away. Like, I feel so bad for Chad Reed. I love Chad Reed. I would love to have him on the show. And every time I see him at MotoGP, every time I see him, he's, he's nice. He's always been nice. But I see it in his eyes like, oh, God, not this guy again. Because <laughs> <You know? laughs> I know how annoying I am. But the thing about it, in my defense, it is a genuine 
geek. It's it's a genuine like, oh my god, and I and I can't control that excitement. I, I wish I could, but that's a part of me I can't control. That's why sometimes if you're on the grid, you'll see me like behind the wall. It's because I know what's coming and I feel it coming up. Like when you like when you know you drink too much, whatever, and you feel that that throw up coming. I know to go okay, and I don't go on the grid and I stay back and I go. And I breathe in and I just wait for the start of the race because I know if I go out there, I'm going to annoy somebody. You know what I mean? So that's what I do. So I want to say. Oh, you mean like when you drink too many Red Bulls? (laughs) (laughs) Do your fans know this? Are they aware of how you live on energy drinks? Well, you know what? But 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 I I've eliminated that though I I've stopped that only time I drink energy drinks maybe is that now I can't stay up like I used to to watch MotoGP so what I do is um uh not the way I used to it used to be a natural stay up so now I have to uh, cheat and do energy drink that's the only time I do energy drinks is when MotoGP started people in Europe have no idea what we go through but at least for me and being on the East Coast East Coast time so that means that FP one for for Moto three for me starts at four o'clock in the morning so now. I'll have to take a nap. I, have to, I, I like I go to bed maybe at, at midnight and take a nap to like three, and then I start drinking a, a, a energy drink, and so I'll get that little jitter. And so when FP one starts in Moto three, I'm like I'm ready. And then my Moto when Moto GP starts, I'm like okay I'm good. And I watch that until Moto two, and I take a little nap, and then I wake up and watch Moto. Uh, three again at about five thirty in the morning. So it, it, it's hell living in this body, Lonzo. It's fucking hell. Well, man. it's good you're not uh, not a, still on the West Coast because then it would start at one a.m. I think we get it. What time's it on? It's on from like two to five a.m. Oh, it's per- yeah. perfect. Per- you know, I wish I would have stay- still stayed out there when MotoGP was going on because that would have been perfect for me because I moved just when I was getting into it. I moved here. And the one thing we missed, I don't know about you, but we missed was the Speed Channel. The Speed Channel was the the, the biggest miss, I think, in, in, in at least for motorsports fans because it had everything. It had Two Wheel Tuesdays. That's where you're introduced to MotoGP. You were introduced to uh, Jason Britton. You with your, uh, uh, what's, what's that show you did? Uh, 101 Car. You must drive. I mean, and honestly, the people still mention that to you. When we walk around MotoGP, people go, hey, I remember you from 101 Cars, Speed Channel. Speed Channel's been gone a minute. So I miss Speed Channel, man. And I thought, and I think motorsports hadn't really recovered in the United States since then. Well, um, so you know what happened to Speed Channel, right? It became Fox Sports. And it Fox bought it. And then they made it. They tried to make it a baseball channel. And that didn't work, so they so it became Fox Sports, I guess two or something like that, and uh, it was all NASCAR. That was the problem with Speed. Speed just went all NASCAR all the time, and um, yeah, I mean, I miss Speed Channel too. I had a job. <laughs> Hell yeah, I miss Speed Channel. But, but you know what? You know, what I like about you, and and almost me to a certain extent, is that you don't throw it in your face, but. You have a little bit of air of like, like NASCAR's beneath me. I'm an F1 person, and I don't dig this kind of motorcycle racing. I did MotoGP because that's the upper echelon of motorcycle race. So it's like MotoGP and F1, and and I watch your act, and even in, in, in private conversation, you like you disdain. Like I'll say disdain. That's kind of a mean word, but kind of like a NASCAR. Like oh, it's beneath me because you're like an F1. Well, dude. you know, listen, man. It's it's the history. It's the history of NASCAR. It's you know. God bless you for being a NASCAR fan, but you know I'm like I'm like Charles Barkley, man. They lost me with the Confederate flags. I mean, if if you know they embrace that part of the culture, unfortunately, 
they embrace that, and I'm not going to support it. Uh, it's going to be weird this year, right, with Jordan having a team. Yes, and Denny Hamlin and Bubba and, Wallace. And Bubba Wallace, but but overall, that is an atmosphere <laughs> in which we are not welcome. And I'm like, I'm fine with that. I don't need to be a trendsetter. I don't need to be a part of it. That's one thing. The other thing is... F1 and now I like Superbike. I don't, you know, I'm not like you. I don't, I don't watch it as much as you, and I don't know it as much as you. But the thing about F1 and MotoGP is it is the pinnacle. They are the best. They're the best uh, riders. They're the best drivers, and they're in the most technologically advanced equipment. I mean, an F1 car is an aircraft that is somehow anchored to the ground. <laughs> And, and you know, in MotoGP, famously, you know, when Rossi was recovering from his broken leg, right? And, yeah. and he rode an R1 testing his leg. And they said, oh, yeah, he would have qualified for Superbike, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I, oh, yeah, I remember that, man. I, of course I remember that. But, yes, I remember that like it was yesterday because Lorenzo was getting in his ass and he went home, he went to Magello and he's like, and he, had, he, he, he felt those footsteps, you know what I mean? As you say in football, he felt those footsteps. So he, he had to get on it because Lorenzo was on that ass. And so he came and, and that tire had a, got a little cold on that little switchback and, and flipped him off and he, you know, broke that leg. And yeah, but Ro- Rossi's just an incredible talent. When he was a second behind, when he, when he, when he, when he was almost, when he flirted with F1, remember when he flirted with F1 and he was only a second behind when he, when he tried out on F1 car. I'm like, his talent is unbelievable. Well, racers, racers talents transfer, right? Because of the, the reflexes, the calm at speed, the vision. I, re- I remember them saying Kenny Roberts, like he had incredibly good vision. And what it does is, and you've been on a track, so you know, you look so far ahead of you that everything slows down, right? And, and I'm not and, that good. I'm not that good. Uh-uh. No, well, they, these guys, you know, it's like any sport, man. You know, the... the the pinnacle, the the guys at the top or women at the top, whatever, the, you know, whatever the sport is, besides having unnatural talent, they have an incredible work ethic. They're incredibly focused. They're in, in that'd be your hardest thing for you. You can't, <laughs> you can't focus you for three minutes. They stay focused. You know, I mean... These are the things, like even with me, like I used to do track days. Yes. And, you know, my buddy Joe, you know Joe. Yeah, yeah, I know Joe. Joe has become a master at track. I mean, Joe is incredible. But one of the things that, that one of the problems I had is I get bored. I get bored. And you can't get bored on the track. You have to maintain that level of focus. And to me, it's like, okay... You know, it, to me, it's not so much boredom. It's just a, I can't uh, I can't concentrate that long. I remember I took the uh, the Yamaha uh, tra- uh, racing school. And to me, that was the best. I did the, the Ron Haslam one in England at the Donington Park, which was great. Uh, but I, I think the Yamaha one was better. It taught me more. It taught me more, I think, technical te- technical wise. And if I remember, you know, we went out and had our little sessions. And I just remember for some reason I lost concentration and I went off track. And I kind of like, you know, like motocrossed it and went across track. And so what I did was I just pulled it in. 
gathered myself, and then went back out. And I told the dude what I did, and he goes, good job. And, but I, I, I lost focus. And it's weird to say that you lose focus because you're on a track, and you should be sort of focused. And you're going at those speeds. You have people behind you, so you really got to be focused. But, yeah, at some point, you're going, okay, whoa, whoa, and, and you lose it. And you're going to a turn. You know, you got to be on it. And so the, the fact that I'd lost, I lost – that's why I wish I had, like, uh, Adderall. You know, I, I need Adderall or whatever just so I can focus on racing. That's why, I, honestly, I understand now if a racer – if I was a racer, I would take those drugs, you know? I mean, I honestly would just so you can be more focused. Just I, I need that. But that's I mean, that's what they do, though. I know exactly what you mean, but that's one of the talents. Right. When people say that race uh, racers are not athletes, those are people who don't those are people who, who are talking reckless, as I like to say. Right. But that's one of the talents that they don't realize the level of concentration. Yes. And how long you have to stay at that level. To, to compete. I mean, it, it is a high level of concentrate. Now, for a lot of racers, they find it relaxing. And the reason they do, it's like when we're doing stand-up, right? When I'm on stage, I'm not thinking about anything else. There's nothing else that I'm not thinking about, you know, I don't know, work the next day or you know, the, the the car ain't running or whatever. None of that matters when I'm on stage. When I'm on stage, I'm 100% there in yes. the moment. Yes. For racers, and I've talked to them, some of them, when they're doing it, they're 100% there. They're not thinking about anything else. You know, I, I, interview, I got to interview, and you interview these guys, so you know, but I did an interview with Spees once for Bob and Tom, and they were fascinated. They were like, man, how do you ride a motorcycle at 180 miles an hour and he was like well i've been doing it every day for years like that's his job you right. know what i mean <laughs> right, so right. to him it wasn't in you know it sounds insane right but but to someone who does it all the time it's not insane so so just like people don't understand how we get on stage but to us getting on stage is is natural Racers get on the track and they, to them, it's not, the, it's a focused concentration, but it's a concentration they enjoy because they drop out everything else, you know? And, and, and I think that applies to any passion, right? If you're lucky enough yes. to find your passion yes, while you're doing it, you don't, it, it's your escape from the rest of the world. You know, you bicycle, bicyclists are like that. I, Listen, I've tried bicycling <laughs> numerous times. I got some really nice bikes because I did some shows for some really big biking. I get bored so fast on a bicycle because I'm used to being on a motorcycle. And I'm like, this is slow as shit. Why am I doing this? <laughs> well, you, you know, well, here's what gets me through. And this goes back. This is this is how we're similar in the, in the Gemini sense. This is honestly how I get through life. This is how I get through life. I have to mentally mind fuck myself to get through life because sometimes, you know, it's not working out in some aspects. So you got to find a way to trick your way through this life. And for what I do is, and this is honestly how I do it, I think of myself as a, as a MotoGP racer. So when I wake up, it's like I know I have to get more cardio in. So when I go work out the gym, I'm you know I'm not as bulky as I used to be because I'm trying to I'm, I'm I think of myself as a racer. So the reason I cycle is I think of myself as a racer. I, I'm a motorcycle racer, so that's why I cycle because I'm thinking I mentally I go I'm, I'm a racer. So that and when I'm riding my bicycle, I'm thinking okay I, this is going to help my cardio when 
my ride. And and it sounds like nothing, but it, that's what gets me through. And cycling is the same way. It's like there's nothing I love better, honestly, is I'm getting that passion for cycling. It's like, man, you're in the country, and you got your earbuds in. And the scary part of being here is that there's no shoulder. I mean, you're, people, you guys in L.A. have it so damn good. You can ride damn near 365 days a year. I know because I live there. You guys have bicycle lanes. People respect you guys. We have nothing here. And so I'm in the country. No, they, they actually don't. And, and I'd like to say I've ridden a bicycle some. You're okay on a bicycle path, but when you're in the streets, people don't respect that bicycle lane unless you're in a large group. I, I got to do, you know, one of those rides, you know, where there's 100 bicycles riding together. Yeah. And it was actually kind of fun. We would meet Monday nights in North Hollywood and ride to Hollywood and around to Griffith Park and stuff. It was fun. But that was the only time people respected you. And people would get mad at that group because we took over the whole street. Yeah. But uh, bicycles get hit and cyclists get hit by cars all the time. Yeah. Because cars have no respect for them. And again, the the thing about being on a motorcycle, which they have no respect for motorcycles. No. But on a motorcycle, you got enough power to get out the way. Well, yeah. uh, on a bicycle... You know, and and cyclists will tell you it is a it is a big problem. Now I don't know if you've been to Portland. Yeah. Port Portland has these bicycle highways. They're like green paths. Yeah. Man, you step into that, you are gonna get killed by a bicycle. You better respect bikes. And and Amsterdam. Have you been to Amsterdam? Oh, you know I have, man. I wasn't asking. Yeah. That's right. That's right. So you know when you step off the curb in Amsterdam. Yeah. You're not looking for a car. You're looking for bicycles because they'll run you over. That first lane is a bicycle lane. It's crazy. So now we're taking my Amsterdam story. This is dumbass here. This, this is how I used, this is how I used to travel. I went. I literally looked on the map and I saw the track. I said Aston. I go and I saw the airport. I go. Okay, it can't be that far. And so I landed. I landed in Amsterdam at, at, at Interpol. At Interpol. I landed. That's that's the FBI. Like I, anyway, I landed in Amsterdam. And I got a hotel like eight miles from the uh, airport and Aston was two hours away. So I literally had to wake up at like four in the morning to get on the road, to get into the track, to watch FP1 for Moto3. I literally had to get up every every day at 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning to go. And on, on race day, I got up at 4 o'clock, I think 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning to go there, and I was still in the line. That's how much they love racing. But, yeah, dumbass here didn't think ahead. And so I, my hotel my hotel was in Amsterdam, and Aston was two and a half hours away. I knew I was in trouble because the passport guy goes, where are you going? I said, I'm going to Aston. And he looked at me like, what? He looked at the other guy, and I said, uh-oh. And they go, MotoGP go, oh, and I go, oh, shit. And I knew then I had fucked up. And so, yeah, that, that, that's me. Yeah, you need to learn uh, Google Maps. <laughs> but that was, before you go. That, that was before Google Maps. That was before. And that was before but here's what, makes, here's what make me concentrate, though. I went old school. I asked the guy at Avis, I go, how do you get here? And I would close my eyes, and he told me, and that's how I get places. I didn't have a Google. At, my, at the time, my phone went international. So I, I go, tell me. And I close my eyes. He go, okay, you leave here and make a right. It's a bump, bump, bump. And that's how I would get places. I went old school, closed my eyes, and I had to focus, focus, focus. Granted, I got lost for two and a half hours, but still, I finally got there, though. And that's how I Yeah, did. Kids, kids don't even know what uh, 
uh, a Thomas guy did. <laughs> you, you know, kids today, they don't know the, the, the riding with, with your mapping. I don't know if you did the road like I did, but you ride with the map in your lap and you turn the, uh, the, that, that, that light on while you're driving. Like, oh, shit, I'm going to be late for this one-nighter. And you're trying to find out, oh, is that the turn? Is that the turn? Damn it. And you got to take a di- different exit to come back around. They don't know that, though. They don't know those days, man. Nope. You know what? Honestly, I want to go back with you because, like I said, the similarities we have are so, like, you grew up, and I said that growing up, but your grandma had a, a farm in South Carolina, and that's what introduced you to motorcycles. And I was like, yes. I mean, the best thing about the South of growing up that way is you go, you got to start off on a dirt bike, man, and just riding in a field. And that's what waters that passion, you know? And that, and well, I. Well, no, that. I mean, you have the place right, but the riding experience was completely different. So looking back and knowing what I know now, um, the guy had, it, it had to be either a Triumph or a BSA. Yeah. Because it was a British twin. Yeah. I remember the two cylinders. I remember that. Uh, they rented land from my grandmother and there was a dirt road, you know, a couple of miles from the highway to the house. Right. And he would take us for rides on that on the back of his bike. And I tell everyone, it still feels the same way when I ride. That that feeling like you're flying, like you're free, like whatever it was. Whatever it was, it, it clicked then, and I've never lost that love of it. I've never lost that love of the feeling of being on a bike. But um, no, I never had a bike when I was a kid. I, I wanted one. Uh, my dad would never let me get a mini bike. You know, in New York, we had kids had mini bikes and they would ride them in parking lots or illegally on the street. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The way kids do now. With, I mean, we weren't like these kids today. Like the dirt bike boys. You know, wheelie and dirt bikes and, and yeah, the, the twelve o'clock boys. That, but, yeah, yeah. But um. <clears throat> That, 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 that's the great part about like, growing up like in I, I call Oklahoma the South, but if you've been there, you know yeah, it's kind of the South. It's a country. You have yeah. room. Um, yeah. Again, that's the thing about it. I had a, I had a field, literally a cat corner, a kid corner to our house, which was the, the church parking lot. That's where I, 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 I developed a trail there that I think is there to this day. That I did a trail when I was when I grew up. I had a trail there, and then two blocks down, there's this, uh, the big football field, and I rode there. Man, I had the best of both worlds. This is how the times were different back then. I had a mini bike. My best friend in school he had a mini bike now he lived across town like west side was pretty much predominantly all black east side was pretty much all white so i got bust to the east side and so he said hey man i want to come ride with you i said okay now this, this is how small town i is and no one thought anything of this he's got to be eight nine years old he rode across town across a busy highway to come ride with me and then it was like it was like i think it turned like 4 30 it's getting dark okay i gotta go i said okay and nobody thought and he's eight years old and he's riding a mini bike across town to ride with me in a field and it's okay gotta go and he rides back i'm sure he rode on the streets and nobody thought anything different like my parents knew he was there knew he was a kid that was my age eight nine years old third grade riding across town on a mini bike and no one said shit those are the greatest days in the world and that's what you city boys don't understand how great it is growing up in a situation like that you take the negativity out of it everything and it wasn't that much negative when you're young you don't see it but that's what the, and, and that's what the passion is. that's why i don't understand how people can be introduced to riding at a young age and how it 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 doesn't leave you like how, i can't understand how people don't keep that passion me personally you know what i mean I mean, you kept it, and I kept it, but I can't Yeah, say- but, you know, well, people's, people's, I don't know, tastes or 
whatever change and they get it, get attracted to different things. And yeah, I, I see, you know, it's, it's like anything, man, you start out loving it, but then you lose the passion, right? It happens with, happens with sports, you know, people love a sport and then they just stop playing it for whatever reason. Um, but I never lost it. I never lost me it. Me neither, you know? man. I, think it, I, I th- bought the Grom. I bought the Grom because it was a mini bike I never had. <laughs> that was going back to your childhood. That was your childhood way of going, that's look, right. I got this, Dad. I think that's beautiful, man. I, and to see you on a Grom, because you were, what, 6'3", 6'4"? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And to see you on a Grom has got to be the funniest thing in the world. To see your oh, bi- we have, uh, <laughs> I have pictures of big guys on Groms. You know, you go to Grom websites, you always see guys too big for Groms. I had one picture where there were two of them. You know, a guy had a passenger. I don't even know how they both fit on the seat. I mean, he must have been on the gas tank and he, his partner on the fender. But um, they're fun. You know, there's nothing like riding a slow bike fast. That's more fun. That's why everyone's buying those little 300s now, right? So they're riding them at full throttle all the time. Well, my, my, I told you what my thing is. I want to get a Vespa. And my, part of me wants to get a Vespa because I used to be kind of a fuck up. Now, I didn't get my life right until like about six, seven years ago. So I want a Vespa like at a 50, just in case my license gets suspended. I can still ride on the street and not get pulled over by the cops. So anything under 50 cc's, anything 50 cc's and under, you don't have to have a, a license or whatever. And so, you know, no, no grown man wants to ride anything, you know, 50 cc's or lower. No grown man in his right mind does. But that's my whole thing. And I want to get a Vespa and I want to get the, the bags on it, like a big uh, hard top and i want to get a little whole cup holder so i can drink have open face helmet and drink my latte at stoplights i want to go to starbucks drink my latte and, th- and that's the only reason i want a vespa that's the only reason and i want to get a vespa this year that's what i want to get well i know a guy he's a supercar guy yeah lives in west la everything mclarens ferraris you name it he's in that business and he rides a Vespa 300 all over the town, all over the city. He said he loves it. He says, "Yeah, it's the best way to get around, because he he uses the 300 because you can go on the freeway with it." But he had the way he was talking. He had me thinking about buying one. I said, "Man, I ain't wasting no money on that." <laughs> now I'm trying to think: was it you or was it me who talked? the other into riding cross country on a bike. I can't remember because I, I know we talked about it and we both done it and you've done from LA to New York. I've only done since I'm based in Midwest. I've only gone from, from, uh, from here to, I've gone from Indianapolis to Tucson, Indianapolis to Sacramento. So, and y'all know you've gone. Yeah, but you went to Tucson nonstop, didn't you? No, no, that was the greatest trip ever because I went from, I went from Indy to Tulsa, stayed with my mom in Tulsa, you know, next day I could tell my dad. Okay. Then, uh, the day later, I went to Dallas, stayed at uh, my old uh, high school wrestling buddy there from Dallas. I went to El Paso, stayed the night in El Paso, from El Paso, then it went to Tucson. And so I took my time with that trip. That's why it was great. But on the way back, typical BT, dumbass, I didn't know we had a Sunday show. And I had to be back in Indy by, I think, Tuesday, no, Wednesday. It had to be back in Indy by Wednesday. And so I had to drive. I, I was an unofficial member of the Iron Butt Club. And if people don't know, that's where you ride 24 hours uh, on a bike, The twenty four, I think 1,000 miles under 24 hours and yeah. that's what I did I left Tucson at about 10 o'clock and got to Tulsa at 8 o'clock that night and I mean I rode non-stop and that was I didn't, I didn't mean to do that and that was when it wasn't so much fun because I had to be there you know what I mean and I tell people how many miles is that I man I think it's oh I want to say 800 I want to say eight 
No, it's more than that. Okay, well, I guess it wasn't. I don't know. I don't. I just know I, I wrote. You I went made, from Tucson to Tulsa, Indy. I went, yeah, Tucson, Indy, but but I had to go. But I went from Tucson to Tulsa in less than twenty four hours. Oh, so you went Tucson to Tulsa? Tucson to Tulsa, yeah, Tucson to Tulsa. Right. I'm looking at my map now. I'm going to see how far that is. Yeah, please do. Yeah, I remember that trip. I remember that because I remember riding through. I just remember riding through New Mexico. And it was coming up on d- uh, d- dawn, and I was like, and I could barely see, but I thought, man, this town is a piece of shit. And I just remember I got some gas, and I go, hey, man, what's the name of this town? And this guy goes, shithole. And I go, I'm glad you said that. And I was thinking the same thing. How long is that? Tucson to Tulsa is 1,000 miles. You did, a, uh, you did an iron butt. It says it's 1,000 the shortest route is 1,034 miles. Yeah, so I'm an unofficial member of the Iron Butt Club. You should have made it official. Yeah, well, dummy, I was on a, I was, I was on a mission. I was on a mission. The longest, um, the longest day I've done was, a, and I just did it in September. It was a little over 800 miles, um, Albuquerque to L.A. Whoa, really? You did the whole yeah. stretch, huh? You didn't want to break it up or nothing? Well, what happened, I had planned to, well, going, yeah, what it going, so I made it to, let's see, which I was on I-40, right? So when I got to Flagstaff, I was like, yeah, I'm just going to hit New Mexico. So when you first hit New Mexico, you hit, um, uh, I can't remember the name of the town, but it's a garbage town. It was it <laughs> Las was, Cruces. Is it Las Cruces? No, it's not Las Cruces. Oh, it's but, it's it's a northern Mexico, right? Northern New Mexico. Yeah, northern New Mexico. Oh, New Mexico period uh, starts with a G. I can't. But anyway, Gallup. Uh, yeah, Gallup. That's yeah. what it was. Yeah. So I was like, I ain't staying here. <laughs> and I had a friend in Albuquerque, which was you know the next. <laughs> so I just rode through. And then the same thing coming back. I was, as a matter of fact, I was going to Tulsa. Um, my friend Jackie in Tulsa, her son was eight years old. Is eight years old. Yeah. And I had a uh, I had a BMW rally gig in North Carolina, so my plan had been to ride across country, right? Because the pandemic's happening, nothing's open. That you know, I had time. Yeah. I had enough time. Right. So I was going to ride to North Carolina, and I said, "I'm going to come to Tulsa and take your kid for a ride. He's the age. He needs to go on a motorcycle." Yeah. And um, so the gig got canceled and I was like, eh, what the hell? I ain't got nothing else to do. I'm gonna go to Tulsa, just take this kid for a motorcycle ride. And that's what I did. Nice. And And she's funny because she said, yeah, you got him. He's wearing his helmet every day. Yes. Runs around the house playing motorcycle and stuff. So it was fun. So coming back, um, I rode Tulsa to Albuquerque, which is like, I think, 600 miles. And then... Um, I was going to stop in like Kingman or Needles. Yeah. It's nothing there. And I was like, it was early. It was like six o'clock, five, six o'clock in the afternoon. Cause I had started at like seven or eight in the morning. And I was like, eh, I might as well go home. And then I looked up and I'd done 800 something miles. I want to do an iron butt. I want to get an iron butt patch. 
So yeah, I mean, yes and no. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, it sounds good, but I just like the fact you can take your time. I think when you when you travel cross country or whatever, it's taking your time that makes it so much fun. You can like, you know, like I remember I was coming back from Sacramento, and it's, and it's, and this is just how things are meant to be. You know, it was like I, I stopped at a Love's, you know, truck stop to get some gas, whatever. I saw a dude who was at, the, you know, uh, when I went to uh, Laguna Seca to see World Superbike, and he goes, "Hey man, were you there?" I said, "Yeah," and and he goes, "Hey, I tell you what." If you know, if you get a chance, uh, when you're going through Wyoming, cut across on Highway I think 50 to go into Colorado and and cut across. And I said, okay, maybe. And I said, you know what? What the hell? Who wants to go through Wyoming twice? That that is hell. Wyoming twice is fucking hell. So I said, okay. And I went there, and about five miles in, there was no road. Literally no road at all. They're doing construction. It was nothing but sand for about three or four miles, and that was sketchy. And in my helmet, I was like, well, careful what you wish for. But it was great because I was like, and I don't know about you, but it's something about, especially now traveling across country or, or traveling it feels like kind of like a, a, a an apocalyptic kind of element to it i don't know about you did you feel that because you travel during the epidemic so didn't it feel like an apocalyptic kind of like kind of like mad yeah, max kind of thing it's it when you get especially to western states right when you're traveling oh, God. yes through the western states through nevada utah to an extent colorado there's nothing there nothing so, so you try i did highway you, you mentioned highway 50 you know, Highway 50, where it crosses Nevada, it's called the loneliest road in America. Yes. And i that was one of the things I always wanted to do. And it's a fascinating ride. But you go for an hour and not see another vehicle. You just It's wow. a flat, straight, two-lane highway. You don't see anyone out there. But it was... Uh, so those experiences are cool just to say, yeah, I've seen that. I've done that. Yeah, riding across country to L.A. to New York was is a, is a lifetime highlight. I tell people it's one of the few experiences that exceeded my expectations. You know, in life, yes, most things don't exceed your expectations, right? And that did. That was that was amazing. Um, so I, you know, I want to do the southern route, right? The the rally is in North Carolina, but now. There's some work stuff coming up that should be happening, so I won't have as much free time. I won't be able to do it, but I'll get there one day. Well, you know, you know? yeah, but you know what? You got to be careful with that one day because that one day becomes never, and you almost have to seize it. And I, and I tell, and I, and here's what I did. I knew my road road work. You know, was you know being cut, which is fine with me, or whatever. But I said, you know what, and that's the reason I got the bike I got because I wanted to travel by bike to my gigs, and that made it, and that gave it a whole different level. It was I, I, I it, it's, it to me, it's so much better because I'm riding on the bike. I take my time getting there. And I get there and I park the bike and I either Uber to the club or come back and then during the daytime, you know, take a little ride on the bike or whatever. But man, you got to do that, Lonzo. You got to stop and smell the roses. I, I told you that when you were in France. You were in France and I was in Spain. And I said, man, come on across and watch GP with me. It was a season finale. And you go, yeah. And I go, what? You, when you take my advice, I'm like, what? Really? And so you, you said, okay. And you came across and I go, that's what you got to do, man. You got to stop and smell the roses. Because I know I you have to take the work. I know that. But man, you got to step, step aside. Well, it, no, listen, I agree with you, but the, the issue is scheduling. Yeah. And when the world was open, my schedule, two things. One, my schedule didn't allow enough time right. between gigs because I had to be, you know, if I, if I got to be here on, you know, if I'm in Raleigh on Sunday and then I got something in L.A. on Tuesday, I don't have time. 
to get across country. You know, one of the things about you being in the Midwest, you're closer to everything. Yes. Yeah. When you're in California, you know, you you're we're far from everything. It's like when the, when the career starts, right? You know, I I had friends in New York. In New York, you can drive five hours and hit three or four different states. In California, you drive five hours, you're still in California. <laughs> That's true. I know. I know. But- so you know. So the the it it and the other thing is having to carry merch having to carry clothes, you know, that there's limits to what you can do on a bike versus uh, flying. Now, what I have done a lot of places, I have friends with bikes, so I've ridden with them. I've rented bikes. I mean, when I was in Sydney, I, I went to this bike shop and um, I was talking with, I had rented a BMW once. I rented a GS and I rode outside of Sydney along their their equivalent of Pacific Coast Highway. Yeah. They have a highway along the coast people ride. So I rode that. And then I was in town and I was talking to this guy. I think he had like a Honda Kawasaki deal, whatever it was. And I was doing this show. It's called the Footy Show. Okay. And the Footy, yeah. It's it's <laughs> meaning sports cuz you know they have soccer right. and Australian rules football stuff like that. And they had this show and the Footy Show they would have guests on. It was like if you could imagine Sports Center and the Tonight Show combining. Okay, uh-huh. that was the footy show. Nice, I would love that. So I'm on there, and I'm do- and the guy said, "Hey man, if you mention me on the footy show, you could have any bike you want." So sure as hell, <laughs> I'm on there, and I mentioned his shop, and for the rest of my time in Sydney, all I had to do was go over there, and he was like. Take what you want, you know. Oh ride. my so, God! I uh, I've been lucky enough to experience that. I had some people in Winnipeg take me for a ride through Western Canada. You know, once people and you know this, once they find out you're into it, once they find out you're a gearhead, they help you out. They they you know you know Robert Pandia, right? You know Pandia in yeah. Austin. Yes. You know Pandia's got a garage full of bikes that whenever I'm there, he's like, "Hey man, you're welcome to it. Take one." You know, and we've done some, not as much as we want, but we've done some rides down there. So, well, you said it best, even as a joke. I think a private joke to me. I don't know if you did it on stage, but you said it best, and it, and it sounds so corny, but it's the truth. Nothing, bikes bring people together who wouldn't normally probably be together. You know what I mean? Probably, I mean, you everywhere you do the wave or whatever, and it's like, would you normally say something to this person if they weren't on a bike? And and it does bring people together. And you said it best. You said the thing that white supremacists and hardcore brothers have in common is they love Harleys. <laughs> and, it's, and, it's, and, it's, right. and it's the truth. And it's like, you know, that little difference they have, their commonality is greater than that difference. And, it, and that's the funny thing about it. They have this hatred toward each other, but they ride the same bikes. And it's incredible. Well, it's comical because they would never ride together. <laughs> but they both swear by the same motorcycle, you know? Um, and, you know, like they say, when you listen, when you're riding, you don't know if that, that guy riding next to you is a surgeon or a janitor. You don't know if the woman who rides up to the rock store she might be, you know, she might be an actress or she might be an accountant. 
You don't know, and nobody gives a shit. You nobody just, cares. That's that's the you're greatest. You're just riding. Yes. Now, you find out, and and you know, the, one of the greatest ad campaigns of all time. You meet the nicest people on a Honda. Yes. Yes. It was it. It changed motorcycling. It changed motorcycling because up until then, motorcycling was seen as the the wild one, and Harley bikers and and all of that. And Honda came along with that little step through bike and said, you meet the nicest people on a Honda. And they showed like clean cut, you know, that middle America look. It changed the whole view and it made Honda the biggest motorcycle company in the world. I always joke that there's people at Yamaha sitting there like nicest people, Damn. <laughs> nicest people. Nobody thought of that. You know, honestly, it did. It changed the entire view of, of motorcycles and, um, you know, and it was great. It was great. I mean, you said something, I read this and if you, oh, I'm, I'm going to let you repeat it, but it was, you talked about how back in the day, and I think you got your first bike and in the seventies, I think or eighties. And that was when, when you, when you said, if you were able to get your bike home and make it home safely, you were a motorcyclist. Yeah, well, back then, I got my first bike in 1980, and there was no, um, what's it called? Uh, what's the riding school called? Uh, a bait? Here, it's a bait. In Indiana, it's a bait. No, it's not a bait. It's, but anyway, there was no rider training. Yeah. <laughs> and what you did, you bought a bike, and they were like, this is the clutch, this is the brake, this is the throttle, Good luck. this is the shifter. Good luck. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, if you made it home, you're, you're now a motorcycle rider, you know. Uh, MSF, that's what I was talking about, MSF, okay, yeah. Motorcycle Safety yeah. Foundation. There was no MSF back in 1980. <laughs> you learned, and that's why you have bad habits, right? That's why when you go to, like you were talking about the rider school, you go to Nick uh, Inatch's rider school, and Nick's a brilliant rider. I, I know him, great guy. But... He talks about all the bad habits we have because when we learned, there was nobody to teach you, so you developed the bad habit because nobody showed you the right way. That's why now when people ask me about riding, I send them to MSF. It's like, yeah, I can show you how to do it, but I'd rather you go to this class. It costs like, I don't know, 175 200 bucks. But it's worth they it. They give you a bike. You just show up with a jacket, gloves, and boots. They give you a bike. They give you a helmet. They show you the theory. You do it without the bike running, just sitting on the bike. Then you do it in a parking lot, and you learn the safe way to, to brake and to turn. And it's a little bike, so it's not intimidating. And then you, you decide, okay, now I can do this, you know. So, yeah, we've come light years. We've saved. They've saved thousands of lives, honestly. They've saved thousands of lives. To this day, and, and I'm not the brightest, I'm, I'm, trust me, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, you know this, but one thing I did know when I moved back, when I moved here, and I knew I wanted to get back into writing again, I said, you know what, I'm going to learn the right way, and I, and I took that course, and to this day, when I get into trouble, 
I, it, it, muscle memory, man. I, you know, like I remember going into a, a turn way too fast and my brakes weren't working. And I just knew how to just, you know, follow the turn, you know, turn my head and follow. And to this day, I follow that. And I think, and I think dealerships do a disservice to ride. I know you're after the money. I know that. But man, honestly, sometimes I'm like, man, what are you doing? You're going to kill this person. You know what I mean? Like, like, like from 18 or 16, whatever, you can get a bike, 16 to 21, 24, whatever. You shouldn't sell a first-time person a Busa or a ZX10. I think it should be a law against that personally. I think because I mean they don't know what they're doing. They're going. They're going by peer pressure, and you know how it is. You know, man, you're gonna be a pussy, man. Get this bike, and next thing you know, it's so hard to say goodbye. And that's what and that's what happened. I, I saw that personally. I saw a dude get his bike. He was so happy. I go, you're not gonna get a jacket, and he goes. He goes back in and he buys a jacket. And I go, you're not going to get gloves? And he goes back in and buys the gloves. And the guy selling the bike looked at me and I'm like, I, am I going to get a commission on this? Because I'm helping you out. You know, but, that, but that's what it is. It's like they so, they're so eager to sell the bike, they don't think about the safety habit. Or I, I believe but it. Go ahead. That's not true of all of them. I know, I know bike dealers who have tried to talk people out of bikes. I remember <laughs> when the R1 first came out, what was that, like 96, 97? Yes, yeah, yeah. And this guy, he managed a Honda Yamaha dealer that I used to go to. He said, yeah, we're going to be able to, you, he said, you're going to be able to get the back half of these at a lot of salvage yards. <laughs> because what happens is people don't learn to use the front brake. Yeah. And that's what stops a sport bike. Sport bikes are insanely fast to the point, to me, um, they're not fun Right. Well, first of all, I'm getting old, so <laughs> you ain't old. You know, I, what's the saying? The older I am, the faster I used to be. <laughs> you ain't old. Um, it doesn't. Well, no. What I mean is I that mean. I don't have the desire to do 120, 150 miles an hour anymore. I did that and it was absolutely fun, but I don't have the desire to do it anymore. But they don't. You're right. They don't learn. They don't see with me. And the dealer was very cool. I hadn't been riding for a while. So I bought a 600. I bought a CBR 600. And with the intent of getting the 900, I said, I'm going to ride the 600 for a few months, <laughs> get my chops back, and then get to 900. And the dude was like, cool. And he gave me a great trade in because he knew I was coming back, you know. Yeah. And, and so I rode the bike for, I don't know, three, four months, put a couple of thousand miles on it. And then I traded it in and got like 90% of the value, you know, which never happens. But... We I bought so many bikes from them. They knew they were like, yeah, we get this guy. We got him for life. Um, in foreign countries, as you know, in Europe, in J Japan, they do that. You can't start on the biggest bike. Um, man, can we take a quick break? I gotta let the plumber in the house. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. Go, go do that. Go do it. Go let the plumber in. Go let the plumber in. You have no problem talking, and then I'm gonna finish this point. <laughs> okay. Go let the plumber in. If you got problems with the toilet, man, you got to do it. You got to do it. That's a sink in the kitchen, but it is what it is. Okay. <laughs> I'll be right back. Okay. I told him not to come this early. <laughs> I love it. Fucking loves though. So he's going to get his. Uh, we're almost done. Did you get a picture? Get the pictures. Okay. I'm, okay. Okay. Got you, man. Got. You. Yeah. Can we go a little longer? Yeah. Okay. Good. Thank. Shit. Okay. Thanks, man. Thanks. You know, fuck. I, God, I, it's so funny. Man. I just, I got to do a part two or something. You know what I mean? Fucking love these, man. I love Zoe. God damn it. I got all this information. Hadn't gone through any of it. And oh my gosh, that's so funny. <laughs> His plumber came. <laughs> <He's gonna> go. <laughs>
And I feel bad about waking him up. And he was, you know, the plumber's coming in to, to fix the sink. I'm the plumber. I came to fix the sink anyway. So I hope you guys are enjoying this, man. I wish we were doing lives. So I can get people to say like, hey, what do you want me to ask him or whatever? You guys got any questions you want me to ask him? Malik? Anything? How about you, White? You want to know, if, you know Pearl Jam or anything? How about you, Malik? Uh, just... just what, Malik? Uh... <laughs> I have no clue. Uh, just questions about comedy. Okay, okay like what? Like, what, like uh, I noticed that he said something about Bill Burr. I'm a he, fan of Bill Burr, so I'd like to... Yeah. Just his relationship with Bill Burr, and I noticed that Bill Burr said he knew you, so... Yeah, I knew Bill Burr back in the day when he did... Uh, so Honestly, here's what I remember. I remember um, we worked together in... Uh, I remember being at the Laugh Factory, watching him go up. I go, this guy's funny. So then we worked together in Portland... And I was feeling myself. I thought I was, I, I ain't gonna lie, I was feeling, I thought I was really funny. And Bill Burr went up and I go, okay, this is what funny is. And I remember that. And I remember us, and the last real memory I remember us is that um, we were at the in improv, me and him were at the same table, and Damon Wayne's going up and he was watching him intently. And then um, and I said, hey, I'm leaving to go. So he goes, I think I'm gonna stay. I said, okay. And that's what I remember. And it sounds like nothing, but the rest is history. And he just studied and studied, and he got better and better. And now look where he's at. And I, matter of fact, I, I direct messaged Bill Burr like um, uh, last week because I, uh, he's. Uh, I told him about a movie to watch, and for he like he he, he likes uh, French movies, and so uh, I told him to watch this French movie. Um, and uh, what was the movie? Uh, the movie was oh, oh it was called um, shit. It was a, a submarine movie. Hold on, it was a submarine movie on Netflix. Oh no, I'm tell you right now. Uh, uh, hold on. Uh, French submarine movie on Netflix. The, the Wolf's Call. It's called The Wolf's Call. It was fucking great. If you get a chance, watch it. It's called The Wolf's Call. So you, you want me to ask him uh, his relationship to Bill Burr? Yeah. Okay, I'll do that, man. I'll do that for you. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. Chris. No, that's what I do, man. I mean, you know, I, I want you guys to know, man. It's all love, bro. It's all oh, love. Did uh, Bill Burr ever hit you back? Yeah. He goes, Thanks, BT. And I hit Bill Burr up uh, the night of the the Grammys when um <laughs> the night no like are you casually glaze over that oh yeah well the night of the Grammys because he wasn't nominated I go man you should have been nominated and he goes you know what and instead of talking out of my ass I'm gonna tell you exactly what he said so you think so you know I'm not bullshitting he, here's what he said because I said uh, I said you should have got nominated and his response to me was uh, appreciate that tweet. Uh, Man, uh, however, the upside of not being nominated is you don't have to go and sit through an award show. <laughs> Hope all is good with you, and that's what he said. Wow! And so, uh, yeah, and so I tweeted him last week. I said, "Hey, there's a great French movie on Netflix called The Wolf's Call. Think you would dig it? Stay safe, B." And he goes, "Thanks, BT." So yeah, I mean, I know he's busy, so I don't, you know. And I'm, uh, I think you should ask him to be on Tales. I think your fans would really enjoy a Bill Burr. Yeah, I, you know, I, 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 I like that. I don't want to. It's like I'm, you know. Um, I have a hard time trying to bothering people, you know what I mean? But it is what I'm doing. So if if you got downtime, yeah, I like to. So what? Oh, I don't know. Oh, here we go. Hey, uh, hey, Zo, real quick. Okay, real quick. My uh, the other dude, uh, the sound guy. He goes, <laughs> the sound guy. He's not into bikes, but he goes, oh my god. He talked about Bill Burr. He's a real Bill Bill, uh, Bill Burr fan, and he wants to know what what's what's the uh, question, Malik. Uh, just like, what's your relationship? Damn, I just said it hard. I said, what's your relationship like with Bill Burr? Uh, we're friends. We're comics. We, uh, I mean, you know, we're not best of friends. We don't have breakfast together, but <laughs> I've known Burr for years. We, we, you know, 
bump into him around Hollywood, around the clubs and stuff like that. And then um, we started talking. I think I heard, I think it was F1. Yeah, we started talking F1 first because he was an F1 fan and I'm an F1 fan. And then we started talking GP. So sometimes we'll text during a race. And, and he knows you, BT. He remembers you because I was telling him that BT is our psychopath <laughs> GP fan. Who, and just so anyone listening to this, you probably already know this, but we know the guys at Erta who work MotoGP. They handle the rules and safety and this and that. They don't know as much about it as BT does. They Even they were like, BT, stop asking us questions about the girlfriend of a 15-year-old Moto3 racer and what, you know. Yeah, so... No, no, that, that was Malik. I mean, I, I, like I said, I love these guys, man. Like, they're 19 and 21, and I but love... But um, yeah. Burr is a very cool guy. Um, the coolest... The one thing that's really cool, he's a helicopter pilot. Yeah, I, I, no, he did that in his bit, but now... But he really does that. Yeah, he's a licensed helicopter pilot. It's something he learned learned to do, which is, is very cool. But he's a good guy. But getting back to my point that I was on before I left about the superbikes... In other countries, you do have to start small. By law, you can't just walk in and buy a, a uh, you know, an R1 or a Jixer 1000 as your first bike. But this is the United States, America, right? About freedom, man. A friend of mine says, you know, freedom is free to be dumb. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that, that's it. So, you're, and it's exactly what you said. People read, you know, this is the fastest bike. Like, it's the most dangerous thing every year. This is the fastest bike. And people buy it. And and even if they drive a car, even if you drive a fast car or a quick, not fast, quick car, it's nothing like a motorcycle. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. like Oh, trust me, I know. The, the highest, the quickest car, like whether people talk about a Tesla turbo porsche which i've driven my i had a turbo porsche it's the one car i truly regret getting rid of i had an 88 turbo porsche and i used to tell people this thing is hayabusa fast it was so <laughs> they, they were much lighter back then yeah but even that is nothing like a bike i mean when you're on a busa you know i i used to say i've had two busas love the bike i said you're not accelerating as much as you're sucking the world in toward you. Yes, it is yes. there's no sensation yes. like full throttle on a Hayabusa. There's oh. nothing I've never done anything like that. Of course, Ricky Gatson, to him, that's like walking. You know, he's like, <laughs> well, when you're gonna go quick. That's another guy who's who's He's he's an alien. He's an alien. He's a he's a different. I don't know if you know Ricky. Oh yeah, I've got on uh, I've gotten on Ricky's nerves to the point he had to turn away and walk away from me, and I understood it. Like I, I met him at a Black Bike Week in Myrtle Beach, and we're talking, and he was really cool and typical me. I just I got on his nerves, and he literally turned away and just walked away. I go, God damn. Yeah, your energy is too much, <laughs> and and it's funny when they talk when you hear the saying, and you'll hear this from racers. You have to move slow to go fast. Yes. Rick, that's Ricky. If you're around Ricky, his energy is very low, very low key, measured, um, obviously super intelligent and understands what he does. But because he moves slow and deliberate, he's the quickest rider that's ever lived. Yeah. 
I love I love what Ricky does. I really do. I guess I feel so bad. Like I just I I can't, like I said I can't control it. I, I mean I really can't. I try, man. But it's like like you said, it's almost it's the passion thing. I mean it if I but if I don't have that on the flip side, if I don't have that, then it's like oh, I mean, it's like if, if you if like if you took me to a basketball game, I'd be happy to go. If you took me to a Clipper game, I know you're a Clipper fan, and I'd be there. I'd be like, okay, I'm cool. And if LeBron, hey, what's up, LeBron? But I wouldn't be like, oh, LeBron, because I'm not really that into it. You know what I mean? I'm not. I'm like, eh. I'm like, eh. And I wish I was that way with GP or motorcycles, but I'm not because it's what that's what I'm into. And when I'm into something, I smother that shit. Well, you're a Gemini. You know what the fuck I'm talking about? Well, you're you're also like that with boy bands. <laughs> no. <laughs> You need to dial it back. You need I, to dial down from a 10 to an 8 because it's too much for people. Dude, I know, but I can't. I wish I could. You don't understand, though, is that I wish I could. I try, but I can't. The only time, uh, yeah, I, I can't do it. And that's, that's why I said I'm so glad you, t- you took me to the side that one time and go, hey, you got to, you, you, people like you, but you got to settle down. And I'm a grown man. I'm in my 40s, and you have to tell that to me? That was the funny part about it. I'm a 40-year-old man going, and you had to tell me, and go, hey, listen, people like you, but you got to settle down. Okay, okay. And that's why I do that, man. All because of you. And I listen to you more than you think I do. And I, like I said, and that's why I'm always amazed when you listen to me. Like, really? You took my advice, you know? I, honestly, and that's why. And I got to get to the part about the questions here because we're running out of time. I got to get to, the, to, to the, the, the boring-ass questions. But what's been your best ride ever? The one that you, like, it, it just stands out your mind like, yeah. Well, like I say, the cross-country trip was the, um, that was probably the best one. Mm-hmm. You know, here's the thing about riding, and this is where I'm so spoiled living in Southern California. I mean, I I literally live now, you know, 10 minutes from Mulholland that I can ride to the <sighs> rock store or whatever. <sighs> We're so spoiled. I'm so spoiled. Like, I went to the Dragon, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and you hear all this talk. And it was a fun road. But I was like, this is Latigo. Like this, you know what I mean? It wasn't as earth shattering to me because I have some of the greatest roads in the world and some of the greatest weather, you know, 15 minutes from where I live. I always say that the the great thing about living in L.A. is you can ride for 30 minutes and not know L.A. exists. You can just go in a canyon, up a hill. You you used to live here, you know, you go up the crest and then you have all these side roads off the crest. You go up Mulholland and then you got Stunt and Payuma and Latigo and blah, 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 blah. It, it's endless. You go up, uh, you, you have the Ortega Highway down, you know, going through or- from Orange County inland. You have these, all these roads. So it, it's where the, the best ride I have is in my backyard, man. My favorite road, there's a stretch of Mulholland. That's my favorite road in the world. Why is it your favorite? Like, what part about it? What, what, what's making it's your favorite? It's the combination of of uh, the turns, the 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 view, um, the the speeds on it, and yeah, it just it's a feel of riding through. It's my own personal roller coaster. Oh, it's great. Okay, now what's and it's not super technical. I don't like super technical. <laughs> it, it, there's a challenge to it. Yeah. Hey, how are you? Um. The plumber is here, so they're kind of... Can you guys work around it? Yeah. Okay, I'll be done here in a minute. Okay. Thanks. Um, so anyway, super technical roads, you know... This is my thing with a road. I like to be able to double the recommended speed. 
<laughs> me, that's the fun, right? Yes. But, yes. but when you get on, on a 10-mile-an-hour hairpins, and I know people who love those. Those aren't fun to me. But the 30-mile-an-hour sweepers, oh, you yes. know, or even the, the, the higher speed, and, and again, not doing 150, but those roads are fun. I like to be able to see through a corner. Yes. I will not speed through a corner that I can't see the exit. Because when you're on the street, you honestly don't know what's through there. Just yesterday, it, it rained here. When did it rain? Sunday night and Monday. And, you know, I have this Indian bagger, which is a really cool. It's called a Challenger. I know. Um, I trust they me. They loaned I know. it to me yes. for a while. Yes. I hit this stretch of mud and it. I was, I just slid. I had no control over the bike for 20 feet. I was like, don't let me crash there, Indian. I don't want to, you know, but, but it was just one of those things. But that's, um, it was mud in the road, you know. Right, right, right. And you, you know, you learn that. You learn that over time and experience. You learn, oh, there's stuff that happens on the street. And this is why people do track days if you really want to go fast. Because on the street, you never know what's around that corner. And I just won't go through a corner yes. that I can't see the exit of at a super high speed because you don't know. And, it, you know, you'd be on the crest and he's, you see these idiots doing a three-point turn with an RV on a two-lane road <laughs> yeah. and literally blocking the road with their RV. And people have been killed. Oh, trust people me, I know. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know? Okay. So. so what's your worst your worst ride? I mean, and I say worst, it's on motorcycles, it's not bad, but when you just go, okay, maybe not that again. No, I will tell you, I absolutely <laughs> remember this. So when I rode to Americade, Americade is up in... Uh, New Hampshire, right? Western New York. Yeah. Um, Lake George. Okay. My brother lives in Connecticut, right? So I'm in Pennsylvania, and I'm early. I said, let me, let me ride home. I'm going to go to Queens and see my mom, and then I'm going to go up to Connecticut and see my brother. So the pencil, where the Pennsylvania Turnpike hits the New Jersey Turnpike, it started raining. Oh. I mean, just sheets of rain. So now I'm on a turn. Now I have to ride through the toll booth over the George Washington Bridge in the pouring rain on metal grating. It was... The absolute worst. I hate that, bro. I hate that whole area. I don't, you know, I said, I will never do this again. I've done it a couple of times because I went from Americade. I rode down to the um, Blue Ridge Mountain Parkway. Yeah. You know, through Vir Virginia and North Carolina. And one more time, I had to ride through that area. And it is just the worst. And I have a friend, he's in North Carolina. And he said, yeah, when I go north, he literally detours through Pennsylvania to avoid riding through that that interchange area of uh, and doing the George Washington Bridge to get up to upstate New York. It is such a like New Yorkers do it all the time, but it is such a miserable <laughs> ride. There's no fun. That's an area where riding a motorcycle is just no fun. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Now, what's your what's your now? I mean, I've I've seen other interviews and your time your thing changes over time. But what's your dream bike now? I mean, which is which is going to be a, a good answer because I, you cycle through bikes like Jennifer Aniston does. Boyfriends, man, you're just always something new, something different. So, what's your yeah, dream bike? I, now? I'm always trading, and although I have the garage now, right where I want it, 
Um, what do you got in right the garage? Right now I have the K1600 Grand America, which is a touring bike. Oh, yes. Um, the GS and my Rocket 3. Oh. And I'm perfect. There's nothing else I want. My dream bike, I wouldn't even ride it. I might only ride it once. Is a Desmo Sedici. Oh, 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 what year? What year though? What year? They only made it for one year. They made it in 08. That was it. Oh, that's the one. Okay, that was like 80 grand that bike. I remember. Yeah, I, I remember the, the V4 GP bike. It was case. Basically, it was based on Casey Stoner's GP bike, but they made it for the street. And they range in price now from the low, you, you know, around 50 to 60 on up um but that's a bike that i always wanted and people say it wasn't meant for riding on the street it's hot yeah. it's loud they said and and some people bought them and used them as track bikes if you got that kind of money yeah some the really rich people bought two of them and they had one they'd ride on the track and the other one they would they kept as a collector but that's the one bike i always wish i had Man, I remember being at GP, and this guy had one, and everybody was like, kind of like, oh, there it is, there, and he couldn't get it started, and you could see his, the look in his face, like, come on, you son of a bitch. I mean, $80,000 bike, and he couldn't get it started, and I couldn't watch it. I, ha- I can't watch a train wreck. I really can't, and I just had to keep walking, like, that poor guy, like, he just, and it, and it never turned over, and I think eventually it did, but just watching that, the beads of sweat start trickling down his face because he couldn't get it open. I couldn't get it open. He never feels sorry for someone who can afford Hey, okay, so real quick, why do you always uh, change your bike? Why, why does your garage always change? Is that the Gemini in you? Because, uh, hold on a second. Okay. Why am I saying, Wyatt? Oh, shit, yeah, yeah, I got you, got you, I got you, I got you. I got you. Sorry, Wyatt. Because I don't have the money or space to collect them. Okay. And I like riding different things. Uh, so It's a good problem to have. I'll ride something for a while, and then I'm like, eh, I want to try something else. So I have to get rid of one to get the other. And sometimes you don't know. You know, like, um, for example, the Motus, M-O-T-U-S. Remember that bike? I rode with those guys. I went down to yeah. Birmingham, and they saw me on my Instagram, and I hit them up, and they go, let's go ride. And we were riding through uh, Alabama together. Right. It's a, it was a great bike. Yes. I, uh, I rode with them a few times, blah, blah, blah. Finally, I bought one. I traded my BMW uh, K1600 GT. I got the Motus. After owning the Motus for a couple of months, I realized it's it was a great engine, but not a great bike. Okay. Um, the BMW was a much better bike. So a year later, year and a half, whatever... I was kind of, you know, I'd ridden a bunch of Indians and this and that. So I traded it and I got the Indian bagger. I got the Chieftain um, Elite, which was a fantastic bike. And that was a whole different vibe for me. I'd never done the bagger thing where you're literally just cruising and it's all about style. And I used to say that bike was perfect for Saturday nights on Sunset Boulevard and Sunday on PCH, where it was just style. Yeah, and it had this kick-ass stereo on. It's the only bike I had that had a super loud, like where you're annoying people with your <laughs> yeah. stereo is so loud. Yeah, when you're riding. It's yeah. perfect. Yeah, you know. So I did that, and I did the bagger thing for a couple of years, and then I was like, "Hey, I want to do something else." So I got rid of that. So those bikes come and go. Um, the forever bike is the BMW GS. That to me, that's the greatest 
but if I ever if I'm ever have one motorcycle and nothing else, it would be a GS. It does everything. It's the most amazing motorcycle I've ever ridden. And and I've had a couple of multi stratas. I know you have the multi. Oh, I love my multi. And the multi is fantastic and I prefer the GS. And it's not one better than the other. It's just a matter of preference. Different people like them for different reasons. I like the GS more, but the multi's fantastic too. Um and you gave I remember, you know, the greatest thing about you, man, is that for some reason you're a busy person, so you rented you rented that GS in Chicago, wrote it down, but you had to get back to LA and you said, Hey, do me a favor, man. Could you ride this back to Chicago for me? I go, Yes. And I just remember I was so happy. You I just remember it rained and you said, Hey man, sorry it rained. And I was like, I wish I was hoping it would snow. Because I I just had this adventure spirit. And that was the greatest thing you did. And then you let me you let me ride it back to Chicago and I was so damn happy, man. Well, one thing, and this is funny, but BMWs, yeah, they don't care about the rain. Yeah. <laughs> yes. They don't. It's it's a bike you ride in the rain and, and you're like, yeah, okay. Like they just work. Yeah, they work. B- I tell it, but BMW bikes, you could tell that it's the same car company, right? Like my Grand America, I tell people, oh, this is a two wheel seven series. And when I had the GT, I was like, yeah, this is a two wheel M5. You know, it's it's uh, it's a company uh, DNA that you get. Yeah, that really works. Okay, and yeah, off off topic, whatever. Real quick, best comic right now. In your mind, and your in your eyes, best Dave comic Chappelle. right now. It's not even close. Dave it's Chappelle. not even close. Dave is working on a level that we can't even comprehend. And, and why is that though? Why is that? For coming from a comic mind like yours, why is that? Because of the way his mind works. Because he sees things that we don't see, and then he says it, and you're like, "That is it, exactly." You know, um, and you know, I love doing topical comedy, political, social commentary, stuff like that. And I always said that that George Carlin was the greatest social commentator we've ever had. Right. Uh, Dave has replaced him. Dave wow. Has, wow. Dave has taken. If you look at what Dave's done in the past few years, um, like for instance, Sticks and Stones, right, where they said the critics were like, "This is blah blah," and it was rated one hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes, and then he won a Grammy for it you know yeah and he didn't care he didn't care what the critics said um dave has this ability confidence uh to not be funny and then be hilarious and that that take when he did the emmett till thing on that on a special he shot in austin a few years ago yeah i don't know if you remember this yeah but Imagine now imagine doing a set and talking about Emmett Till, one of the worst murders ever in our racial history that we know of. That was yeah, I mean this is this was a 14-year-old kid killed for looking at a white woman, which he didn't even do. The woman 50 Lied. years later Lied. said that it was all you know, he didn't whistle at her or whatever. But but Dave taught the people that little history lesson in a comedy set and then used it to be funny later, did a callback to it and made it funny. And and most recently, one on 846, what I thought was a profound statement when he said that 
you know, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, but he said how Don Lemon was like, where are the celebrity voices on this? Where, why aren't celebrities speaking out on Black Lives Matter and this? And Dave was like, shut the fuck up, man. The streets are talking. They don't want to hear us. The yeah. streets are talking. That, I mean, that summed it up. The streets were talking. But, but to see that and to say it and to say it from a comedy stage is, is incredible. So yeah, Dave is, it's how his mind is operating. And I'm not the only one who thinks that, you know, yeah. um, I saw in an interview, I think it was a Kevin Hart interview and he said him and, and Chris Rock, they were in New York. Yes. And I heard this story. Yes. Yeah, Chris called him and said, let's go down to the cellar. I want to work on some material. And Kevin was like, yeah, I want to work it out. This or that. And they got to the cellar and Chappelle was on stage and they both said, Nah, we won't go up tonight. You know, <laughs> man, that's great. And hearing it from you, because I look up to you, and and for you to say that about him, I mean, I feel the same way about Dave. But I love it when people I look up to say that about him. You know what I mean? And I see it like you do. But it's just I, I love the game. And and like I said, and that's why I call it Tales of a Gemini. Tales from a Gem. Is it? You're a Gemini, I'm a Gemini, and like I said, we stack up, but you're a better comic than me. So hearing you say that, it's like, wow, you know? Well, you know, it, it's, I don't, thank you for that. It, it's just, we operate on different levels. We do different things. It's not just being a better comic. Sometimes it's just fame, you know? I have parallel thoughts. The thing I'm proud of is that I've been on stage with the best there is. Yeah. I've been on stage with the richest there is, and I'm fine. I hold my own. I, I never was strong in marketing. That's yeah. why I didn't get rich because I didn't know how to sell myself. Right. Um, I was more interested in doing the comedy. I tell young comics now, do marketing, sell yourself. That's part of the job. You know, uh, I never learned that. So, but, but I'm proud that I can hang with the great ones. You know, my mentors have become my friends. Uh, George Wallace, Lewis Black, the Dom Herrera, these guys, you know, and when I'm in a place and I'm on, you know, just the, yeah, Dave, I know Dave and Dave knows me and we're cool when we see each other, you know, again, not like we hang out. Right. Right. Um, I had a great time with Trevor Noah, great time with Trevor cracking up, you know, and you know, when you, and you know, this, when you're in the green room, it has nothing to do with how much money you have or right. how many TV shows you've been on or how many movies you're funny or you're not. If you're funny, we respect you. If you're not, we don't. Yeah, I I just remember you telling me the story, how it was one of them L.A. gigs or whatever, and everybody who went on before you was a multimillionaire, but you closed the show out. Yeah, because mm -hmm. they they knew, and I just thought that was beautiful. I mean that 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 encapsulated everything up that you just said. Honestly, it's just you got the respect, and you know, and even they know. So, and I thought that was beautiful. Man, we got to run, bro. I'm running late. I know you got a plumber at your house and everybody else. Plumber working. Yeah, and I got another podcast coming up uh, behind me. These guys, I, I did them wrong last week. I got to run. But, man, thank you, Zoe. I'd love to run this back. I don't know when you got some more time. I'd love to run it back again so we can get more to it. I didn't get half the things I want to talk to you about, man. But I appreciate your time, Zoe. You know I respect you so much, my man. Like I said, you're the older brother. I always wish I had, man. So I'll see you when I see you, brother. I'm everyone's older brother. Alan says the same thing. I, I got to find an older brother, so I'm not the <laughs> oldest guy in the room. Take care, BT. Thank Slow you, brother. Slow down, and uh, 
I'll take a ride for you since your weather's 20 degrees or whatever the hell. I'll still you know, back there. Yeah, it's free, but I'll, st- I'll still ride. You know me, man. You I see know. you see the pitch. I don't just post up. I, I'd ride, bro. So, yeah, I'm going to put my winter gear on and heat, heat it up, and I'll, I'll ride. All right, man. Good All right, to man. talk to you, brother. Thank you, man. Thank you for Tales from the Gemini. My guest, Alonzo Bowden, who I love so much. Like you guys, like I always say every time, thanks for watching. And until next time, bye.